calling all conscious achievers who are seeking more community and connection, I've got an invitation for you. Join me at this year's Summit of Greatness this September 7th through 9th in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio to unleash your true greatness. This is the one time a year that I gather the greatness community together in person for a powerful transformative weekend. People come from all over the world and you can expect to hear from inspiring speakers like Inky Johnson, Jaspreet Singh, Vanessa Van Edwards, Jen Sincero, and many more. You'll also be able to dance your heart out to live music, get your body moving with group workouts, and connect with others at our evening socials. So if you're ready to learn, heal, and grow alongside other incredible individuals in the greatness community, then you can learn more at lewishouse.com slash summit 2023. Make sure to grab your ticket, invite your friends, and I'll see you there. So I actually find uh, fasting sleep to be some of the most amazing physiology because I'm watching this plummeting temperature, rising heart rate variability, falling heart rate, all of these really valuable things, but a little bit of rising cortisol that can lead to shorter sleep times. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Welcome to this special masterclass. We've brought some of the top experts in the world to help you unlock the power of your life through this specific theme today. It's going to be powerful, so let's go ahead and dive in. A healthy meal, let's say, an hour before bed. I'm talking about grains and lean meat and healthy stuff. Or if you eat pizza an hour before bed, are they both going to impact your ability to sleep better? Or is the quality of the food before you go to bed matter? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, the short answer is, yeah, it does matter. Um, so the, the probably the two things that would have the greatest determination um, would be 
the simplicity or glycemic, the simplicity of the carbohydrates or the glycemic load, because that's going to impact the sort of glycemic roller coaster you go on at night. And then probably the amount of protein, because that has a greater contribution to what's called the thermogenic effect of food. Uh, so the thermogenic effect is how much does your body temperature actually rise to digest the food? Um, our bodies want to be very cold at night. So yes. anything you do that opposes that leads to lousy sleep. So what foods help you sleep better that keep you colder? What are those foods? Whether it's an hour before or three hours before. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, it's like almost anything you're going to eat is going to come with something that's going to slightly raise your temperature. So I just generally say, try to not eat too much before bed. Um, and, and I go out of my way to avoid the two things that I think are worse. So I just say I, I wouldn't have huge protein before bed and I don't want to have anything that's going to raise my blood sugar before bed. So, you know, I'd have an avocado before bed. I'd have, you know, something that's like, you know, I, I just generally don't eat before bed. The body really rewards you in terms of if you wait or if you don't eat right before bed, is it going to sleep better, sleep deeper, be cooler and therefore help, we, help you have more energy the next day if you don't eat before bed? Yeah. And this is at least for me been most easy to exhibit. And, and I think many of my patients would agree uh, during periods of fasting. So yeah. fasting is kind of a, a funky state because you're, you're altering so many other things in the physiology. But one of the things that happens, especially by about the second day of a water only fast, um, is you really are seeing the impacts of what deep sleep can look like in a, in a state that is totally absent food. And it's, it's very interesting because you're competing with two forces, one that's keeping you awake and one that's helping you sleep a lot deeper. The one that's keeping you awake is cortisol. You have more of it. You have more stress hormones when you're fasting because that's the thing from a prehistoric standpoint that would have been going on, right? Fasting would trigger a signal that says, go get more food right? Be so alert, that, be focused, be alert, go yeah. get food. Like we don't want to die. And so that's kind of keeping you awake. But the flip side of that is the total absence of nutrient is allowing you to get into this amazing sleep. And your body temperature is really going down because your body's turning down its metabolism. So I actually find uh, fasting sleep to be some of the most amazing physiology because I'm watching this plummeting temperature, rising heart rate variability, falling heart rate, all of these really valuable things, but a little bit of rising cortisol that can lead to shorter sleep times. But I still feel quite you know, rejuvenated by sleep. If you're a kid and you're eating a lot of junk food, you're not sleeping, you're staying up late because you're whatever, playing video games all night, but you've got all this energy all day and you're active. Is there a negative for in your early ages, teens, early twenties through lacking sleep, eating poorly, or is there a way to recover in your twenties from the damage you've done in your before 20? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, certainly you can break it down into sort of the behavioral habit side, and you can talk about it through the physiologic lens. The good news is before the age of 20 or 30, we are pretty remarkably resilient. I mean, you're an athlete, so you can relate. How, how old are you now, Lewis? You're in your 37, 30s. 37. So you, you might not have fully appreciated. I'm 47, so I'm a full decade older than you. And when I think about 17 to 27 to 37 to 47, I can really talk about those decades through the lens of resilience. Mm -hmm. Like at 17, you could shoot me and I think I'd still get up the next day. <laughs> right. Like you just couldn't, right? You're Superman. And, and yeah. You're absolutely Superman. And 
I don't know. I, I feel like the first observation of not being Superman for me kind of kicked in about 42-ish, about five oh, years man. ago was the first time I was like, oh, so this is what people talk about, right? Like you can't just go out and crush it every minute of every day. And I think that's just one lens, which is through the lens of exercise. But uh, the same is true of physiology, right? Like, or, or I'll give you another example. M many of my patients have observed this. I've observed this. Like I was never a big drinker in college, but certainly there were enough occasions in med school or college where I'd go out and drink far more than anyone should. And yet somehow the next day I could like get up at six in the morning and go and do whatever I need to do. Like I, I remember one night actually being out drinking until three in the morning. I mean, ha having so much to drink, it was ridiculous. And somehow getting up <laughs> at six in that morning to do a hundred mile bike ride. Oh my gosh, man. Prob probably still partially drunk. And f but, but it felt fine by about like two hours into the ride. Today, if I had three <laughs> glasses of wine, like the headache I'm going to have the next day is going to last me till the middle of the day. Is that because so, your body was able to assimilate the glucose into the muscles and it used it for its, to its advantage then? And now it's like, it takes it's, over. It's, uh, it, it's a very good question. I really, I mean, I could, I could sort of, you know, speculate on what it is, but I, I just think there's an over, so there's this thing called homeostasis, right? Which is one of the hallmarks of youth. And it's one of the hallmarks of aging. And, you know, it's, it's the ability to, or it's, it's our lack of homeostasis. We lose this ability to get the body back into the zone of optimal performance. So everything about the human body is very particular. For example, take pH, which is the amount of acidity in our body. We're so highly regulated, like our body really needs to be at a pH of 7.4. So seven would kill you and 7.6 or 7.7 .7 would kill you. And this is a scale that goes from zero to 14, to put that in perspective. Wow. Okay. okay, so tiny perturbations will kill you. How good is our body at staying in that? Amazing. Temperature, right? You go much below about 94, you're dead. You go much above about 104, you're dead. How good are we at staying in that range? Oh, I mean good. I mean, we generally stay within a 1.5 degree band. So this homeostasis thing is amazing. It gets weaker and weaker as we get older. And so your ability to tolerate bad food bad sleep, sedentary behavior, more stress, all those things. It just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And I think it declines non-linearly. So again, what you experience as a decline between 30 and 40, eh, it's bad. 40 to 50, yeah, that's worse. 50 to 60, you can fall off a cliff. Is there a way to reverse this? I don't think we know. I think you can definitely slow the progression of it. And uh, I, you know what? I, I would say you probably can reverse it, right? So just yeah. as you can clearly reverse diabetes, diabetes is a glucose homeostasis problem and it's clearly reversible. Um, you know, so there are probably some variants of this that, that are harder to reverse than others. Uh, but, but no, I, I think we can reverse this process. Uh, but it gets, it gets harder, you know, it gets yeah. harder as time goes on and it gets harder, the further, the further you are into, you know, sort of the physiologic trap. What are you doing to reverse it now that you've been experiencing this kind of not maybe a cliff, but a dip over the last five years for yourself? How are you thinking about it? Well, I, so, so I sort of had a change of heart um, five years ago. Uh, so actually six years ago, 2014. So I sort of hung up my bike, which at that, so at that point I'd switched from swimming to cycling as sort of my main sport. Um, but I, you know, you know, at that point, a couple of things had happened. So one, I had become very 
familiar with a lot of emerging research on excessive cardiovascular training, which again is a ultra, rich man's problem. Ultra marathons, ultra biking, ultra swimming, hiking. That's that's right. That's right. So it'd be again, very, and it's the same sort of curve, right? Where as exercise dose of exercise goes up, mortality comes down, but it has this little bit of a J where once you start to get into hyper amounts of exercise, especially over the age of 40, you're actually driving an increase in mortality. Now, again, really? yes. You Does don't that mean like running a marathon once a year or is it running a marathon every week? Yeah, great, great point. Running a marathon once a year, probably not increasing your mortality at all. Um, but, you know, running 40, 50 miles a week probably is, wow, if, really? especially at that age. Now, again, this gets to your point about resilience. Someone in their 20s doing that doesn't seem to have any impact on mortality. It really only seems to be an issue if you continue. In fact, I did an interview with a cardiologist, James O'Keefe, on my podcast, who is, you know, the world's expert on this. And, and, um, it was actually James's work six years ago. Cause I heard him speak at a conference 10 years ago. We became friends. I, you know, it's one of those things I'm sure you've experienced this where you hear something and you don't want it to be true. So you basically come up with all the reasons you're going to poke holes in it until you, you, you find can't the, anymore. you find the evidence the other way. Yeah. 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 And eventually it became very difficult to ignore that mm. this hyper amount of exercise was counterproductive. This, so that's one piece of the, the change six years it's, ago. The it's, second it's probably, piece, it's probably bad that I just committed to doing the marathon next year, yesterday. <laughs> that, that's all right though. You'll be fine. I just think don't do yeah, one yeah. a month. You yeah, know? Exactly. Um, and then, and then I think the second thing was I realized like it was sort of funny, but I realized like my prime was so far behind me that I needed to think about like, what, what was, what was I doing this in service of? Right. Like, um, and not that I needed anyone other than myself to do these things. Cause I'm very self-motivated. So I don't like, but just as a joke, one day I asked my wife, I said, Hey, do you know what my PR is for 20 K like bike run or swim? Yeah. Bike on a, on a 20 K bike on the time trial. And I was like, this is my wife. She hears me talk about this stuff all the time. I have spreadsheets and models and data, and I analyze my power data every single day. And I'm trying to break the record for San Diego. Like I'm really so switched on to this. She'll probably get it within a minute. She'll guess what my PR is within a minute. She was off by 20 minutes, meaning she wasn't even in the zip code. So I was like, huh, that's funny. Like, it's like literally the most important person in my life couldn't care less about this. And what I realized was, you know, I need to start thinking about a different sport, which is the sport of longevity. So mm. what does it mean to be a kick-ass hundred year old? And so that was the beginning of a mental model for me that in the past two years has gained much more traction called the centenarian Olympics. So how do you train to kick ass at a hundred should you get there? And of course, everywhere along the way. So that now dominates my landscape of training, which means I don't, you know, care about how fast I can, you know, ride a 40 kilometer time trial because that doesn't quite fit into what a centenarian needs to be able to do. What is your mindset going into a 40 mile bike then, or, or some type of experience. Is it more the joy of it? So, so I don't, fun? I don't, I don't, I don't train. No, my training is very specific, but now it is fundamentally organized around four pillars. Um, so the pillars being stability, strength, 
uh, mitochondrial or aerobic efficiency and anaerobic performance. And so each of those then has a super layer detail approach. And I still ride my bike four hours a week. So it's a fraction of what I used to do. And it's now very much geared to a certain energy system and a type of training. Um, what was so the fourth one? Stability, strength, mitochondria, and mitochondrial efficiency or aerobic efficiency. And then the fourth and final one is anaerobic performance. So you focus on those four metrics now on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those four pillars sort of make up the training program, which is then in service of something that I invite every patient to define for themselves, which is because you will have a different, you know, set of variables for me potentially, but you know, my centenarian Olympics has, you know, 18 events in it. You know, like I want to be able to pull myself out of a pool that, you know, where there's a one foot gap between the water and the curb, like lift myself up. I want to be able to hop over a three foot fence. I want to be able to walk three miles in an hour. I want to be able to carry two 10 pound bags up four flights of stairs. I want to be able to goblet squat 30 pounds because that's about the weight of a kid. I want to be able to get up off the floor without using my hands. So I could rattle off all of my 18 things and you would say, Peter, those seem really easy. And you'd be right as a 37-year-old stud. But the point is, as a 60-year-old, a lot of them aren't easy. Uh, most 60-year-olds couldn't do this if their life depended on it. And I have yet to meet but maybe one person in their 80s or 90s who can. And so that's the aspiration is to get to that level in your 80s or 90s. How do you work that backwards huh. to inform your training in your 60s, in your 50s, and in your 40s? And, and it's actually very hard. And as I'm getting into, you know, I'm three years away from 40, what should someone in my age range be thinking about when they're, you know, I'm healthy, I feel good, you know, maybe have some aches and pains here and there when I'm training hard or something. But for the most part, I feel amazing. What should I be thinking about moving forward so that I continue to feel amazing and have the ability to do these things? So I don't, I think it's never too late to at least become familiar with what these ideas mean. And it doesn't mean that you have to go whole hog and devote yourself to this. Like I've obviously made a very conscious choice that I don't go to swim meets. I don't go to bike races. Like I don't train for those things anymore. And a big part of that is just time. You know, there are only 168 hours in a week and, you know, I have a very clear set of priorities and I'm willing to set aside 10 to 12 hours a week for exercise, which by many people's standards is still quite a lot, but probably by the standards that you exercise and certainly by the standards that I used to exercise, you know, I've never exercised so little in my life. So I have to be very efficient with every one of those minutes. And that means I'm laser focused on the four principles of that. In your case, I think it comes down to saying, okay, how much time do you want to devote to the long game? How much time do you want to devote to the short game? Another way to think about this would be investing. If you're looking at an investment portfolio, you might say, <clears throat> how much do I want to put both time and money, so the actual capital I set aside, but also the amount of time I spend deliberating over it into my retirement account versus how much do I want to invest as a day trader for short-term gains, um, for you know money that I'm going to be using in the near term that's maybe even supplementing my income today. Mm -hmm. You could have totally different strategies for that, and that's totally fine. So I'm just in the category where I'm only thinking about long-term permanent capital. Right. And so, um, so that's the first question is you have to decide how do you want to do that? And it might be that you say, you know, Peter, at 37, 
I just want to focus on running a marathon. I've always wanted to do an Ironman, so I'm going to go and do that. And, you know, I want to climb Mount Everest and that's going to require, like, you might have a whole bunch of these bucket list things. And truthfully, right. I would say do them now because it's only going to get harder. Because you're not going to be able to do it later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think you're going to want to do it later. So, so get those <laughs> things out of the way. What's a typical eating day look like for you? Like, what are you putting in your system? Yeah. So, and what time do you put? Yeah. In so, it? I wake up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee around six thirty in the morning. Wow. Um, I like coffee. I'm a big fan of coffee. Um, I don't eat until twelve thirty or one. Okay. So, I use what we call a compressed eating window. Mm. Now, I will wake up and I have plenty of energy because I'm so good at burning fat. I've trained my body to do that. That so you I don't, have the energy. You don't. I need. have the energy. I'm not. I'm not in a in a slump waking up from having not eaten for the 12 hours that I was sleeping, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm so good at accessing the stored body fat. I got plenty of energy. In fact, I'll go to the gym at 9.30 or 10 o'clock, and I'll do my workout so, fasted. Sometimes it'll be a heavy leg day. Sometimes it'll be you know intervals of some kind. Um, again, I don't... And, and you do feel it. fine. I feel fine. Right. And then when I get home, I won't eat. If I get home at like 11, I still won't eat for an hour and a half, um, partly mm. because I'm not hungry. Right, and right. partly because I got stuff to do, right? Right, right, right so, exactly. But I'm not compelled to go, oh, my God, I just finished my workout. Mm. I must eat a post-workout shake or something. Yeah, there's so many people that say that, you know, have a protein shake within the first 30 minutes of waking up to start your metabolism, drink a shake right after a workout. Why do they say that, and why do you think you don't need to? Um, I think you don't need to because if you become good at burning fat, uh, a couple things happen. First of all, you have the energy to get through the day. Second of all, if you're good at burning fat and you're not hungry, I say if you're not hungry, wh why are you eating? Hmm. If you're not hungry, don't eat because that's, that's, that's kind of key. Um, when you become good at burning fat, you don't, you don't enter that cannibalistic zone that hmm. the bodybuilders enter when they're dependent on carbs a lot, which is you start to tear up your muscle tissue. Because when you're a sugar burner and you run out of sugar, and, or you're, you, you know, you're, you're depending on carbohydrate. By the way, I use glycogen, glucose, carbohydrate, and sugar sort of interchangeably. Okay. But when you're a sugar burner and you haven't eaten for a while, you've depleted the glycogen in your liver and your muscles because your body's expecting you to have sugar all this time, and that's gotcha. where you store it, but you don't store very much of it. So when you run out of it, the brain... You need to fill it up. The brain goes, hey, something's off here. We got to eat. And if we don't eat, then here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to signal the adrenals to create cortisol, which is going to go tear down muscle tissue mm. so that the amino acids can be sent to the liver to be converted into glucose so I can fuel the brain. <laughs> so it's like you're tearing down the muscle you just spent all the time trying to build mm. because of your dependence on glucose. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host 
So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. All that goes away when you become a fat burner. When you become good at burning fat, now when you don't eat... Your body knows how to access the stored body fat, so your your energy levels don't dip. Your blood sugar doesn't doesn't dip, uh, and so you don't you don't cut into muscle tissue. Gotcha. So, so you can train really hard to try to build muscle, yeah. And you're still saying you don't need this like post recovery shake yeah. right afterwards if you learn how to eat the right way. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if you're again, if you're the old paradigm and you are the carbohydrate dependent athlete, then yeah, you probably do want to eat a, a post-workout meal because uh-huh. you probably will cannibalize some of the muscle tissue because, right. you, because you're working on an entirely different operating system. Interesting. Man, and so that 21-day transformation is how you get off of that yep. cycle and get into the fat-burning cycle, yep. essentially? Exactly. Okay, cool. Yep. We'll have that linked up here yep. as well. And, and also the Primal Endurance, the book. has know, this, a lot of it in this there. Has, so. This has it all in here, but this is really uh, specific to people who want to race 10Ks, 5Ks, marathons, triathlons, yes. Spartan races, all that stuff. Have you done a Spartan race yourself? I haven't. I did one, a short one, like a five-miler. It's pretty intense. Yeah, it's intense. It's fun, though. It's fun, though. I wish, I wish it had been around when I was in my prime. 20, in my prime because you would have been a machine. Because I was a, I was a good marathoner, um, but I, got my, you know, I had my DNA fitness thing done a few years ago, and I was like uh, 57% endurance and 43% strength. What that mm. means is it made me a pretty good endurance athlete, but I was never going to be the best in the world because to be you'd have to be 80% or 85%, yeah. right? But it also told me that I had the strength, which is sort of, in retrospect, that's why I realized I used to lift weights. Even when I was a, a marathoner, I lifted weights in the gym. Yeah. So I, I maintained my strength. Wow. And I was a gymnast before I was ever an endurance athlete. Really? So you look at the Spartan races and you go, well, that's, you know, it's got some gymnastics, some, you know, some parkour yes. type movements. Rope climbing. Some, rope, some, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some, some heavy lifting, all that stuff combined with the endurance. Mm-hmm. That would have been Your thing. my thing. Wow. But right now it's like um, I just, I'm, uh, I'm too guarding of my, of my current fitness level and health i don't want to get injured mm-hmm. you know and yeah of course so like the big thing for me is my ultimate frisbee game once a week I you're played, an ultimate frisbee oh my god i, I played, love ultimate frisbee you got to come out to malibu man it's college champion with my team in college get out of here which, which it's uh, been a small yeah. small d3 school wasn't like whatever man time, but uh you know what so i can we run gotta, and we jump have, and we have to, we have a game in malibu dude, ev- I'm in. every sunday at 9 30 it's I would love crazy to come. it's yeah. been years but i'd love to come no, no no it's the most fun can we wear cleats 
you can wear cleats. I wear my Vibrams, but of guys, course. yeah, guys wear cleats. Wow. No, it's it's anyway. So you know, I would love to come. You know what a good workout it is then. That's one of the hardest workouts. An hour of ultimate, and I'm exhausted. We play two, we play two hours, by the way. Oh so. my gosh, yeah. I would be like, sub me in. Fifteen minutes. I'd have to get back in the shape for it. Wow, that's cool. In Malibu, huh? In Malibu, yeah. Nine thirties. Nine thirty a.m. Yep. I'll be there. When it's and there's time. guys from West Hollywood that come out there too. I will come out for yeah. sure. Was it like thirty guys go out there? We get uh, last week. We had six on six. That's a that's the most fun. Oh, wow. In the summer we'll have ten on ten. Sometimes it's a little bit crazy, but yeah. wow. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay, so you wait until about you have coffee in the morning, then you wait till about noon to one. Oh yeah, we haven't even gotten to my and then, any food yet. <laughs> and then what's and then what do you, what's and what is that meal? Yeah, so and that meal typically it might be uh, what I call a big ass salad. You know, okay. it's a big salad with lots of vegetables in it and some form of protein, with lots of salad dressing. Um, if you make, but you have your own salad dressing. And now I have my own salad dressing because I couldn't find any that I could put a lot yes. on and feel like this is... That doesn't fill with sugar. Yeah, exactly. or, or, or unhealthy fats or unhealthy oils, like the mm-hmm. soybean oil that I was talking about or the mm-hmm. canola. You know, it's like no canola. This is... Our our um, salad dressings are made with avocado oil, which is wow. the healthiest of all the oils. Wow. So I have a big salad with with chicken from leftover from the previous night or a piece of fish or something on it. Nice. Okay. And then... And then uh, I go till the middle of the d- middle of the afternoon, maybe late afternoon. I might have a handful of macadamia nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we do make a uh, we we make we make a protein bar now. Yes, All my products this. I make for myself, by the way. Just right, so you know, right, right. I make stuff that I wish existed. Uh-huh. That, uh huh. That so so this one, the dark chocolate, the almond dark bar? chocolate almond it looks bar. amazing. It is amazing, and it's got um, uh, they're fifteen grams of protein, but but mostly it's nine grams of collagen. So the it's got more collagen than a cup of bone broth. So, you know, I'm I love bone broth, wow. but it, 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 you know, as a quick, than, yeah. when I'm driving my car, you know, with a <laughs> Let me pull out a bottle of bone broth. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so the, the bars are, are are there because I'm really into the repair. So, hmm. one of the issues I have as a 62 year old guy trying to keep up with 20 somethings right. on a sprint to the end zone to defend a long pass is my Achilles. You know, uh, so huh. so uh, the collagen really works well. Really, for absolutely keeps me. I I know that I can tell the difference between when I've been eating a lot of collagen and when I haven't. In in, in my just in your Achilles, in my Achilles, yeah. What happens? Just tighter when you're not. Yeah, or? they feel like they're going to snap. Really, and, and I'll and I'll they'll they'll feel sore enough that I'll choose not to back way off. On, Interesting on, for weeks at a time. So uh, so anyway, so that's I might have a I might have a dark chocolate almond bar. In the afternoon, I'm have to get all this stuff. Yeah, I'm have to try it all out. Yeah. Um, okay, and the then afternoon. and then in the evening, um, you know, I have a, a piece of steak. I've got this great wagyu uh, short rib that I get. It's my favorite cut of meat mm. anywhere in the world. Uh, and I'll have that with a, a whole ton of uh, steamed vegetables or lightly grilled vegetables with some butter on it. And uh, once that's in a while, I have a glass of wine, and that's it. That's, that's the whole day. Yeah. You so don't need much more than that. No, so here's the thing. It, 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 you you may have um, gleaned from that that uh, it's not a lot of food, right? And one of the things that you realize when you become good at burning fat, you don't need a lot of food. You need you don't need a lot of food. So mm. a few years ago, um, you know, I had this thought experiment. I got I thought, well, you know, I used to my whole life see what I could get away with, see how much food I could eat, and not feel like I was going to puke or not feel like I was going to gain weight, right? It's how much food can I eat and not mm-hmm. and not gain weight. And I think I think a lot of people live their lives that way. They sort of finish what's on their plate. They, you know, they they uh, basically there are a lot of people who run or work out just so they can eat more. Like why yes. do you run so much? 
Lewis, well, I run because I, I love this. I love to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love to eat. Well, dude, I love to eat too. Yeah, but I don't. I don't want to beat myself up. Sure, just sure, so sure. I can eat more. Uh, so that was the thought experiment. And then if you reverse it, you go, well, if that's the case, what's the least amount of food I can eat and maintain my body mass, maintain my energy, not get sick, and most importantly, not be hungry. Mm. And it turns out it's about 30% fewer calories than I used to eat. Wow. Yeah. So I learned within the last uh, 10 years, I, I've learned you know, to sort of halfway through a meal, ask myself just sort of subconsciously, am I really hungry for the next bite? Not am I full, not am I, you know, whatever, but am I, am I truly hungry for the next bite? And if I'm not, I'm okay pushing the plate away, wrapping it up, throwing it away, giving mm-hmm. away whatever, uh, because I know there's food wherever I want, whenever I right. want, so it's not like I'm trying to pack on the... You're going to stuff it, yeah. Yeah. What if you just enjoy it? Well, if you enjoy it, keep going. Yeah. But um, you have a lot of times you get into that space where you go, you know, am I eating this because because it's still there? Because it's still there. Yeah. Am I truly eating it because I enjoy it, or mm-hmm. or am I, you know, like I used to? I, I had a habit of uh, one half gallon of ice cream a night. Oh. For five years. That sounds amazing. It was, amazing. <laughs> and, and I was. It was in my. Training day, so right. burn it all off. Never yes. gained any weight. I actually weighed probably twenty pounds less than I weigh now. Wow! Yeah, um, and but it was a half gallon of, of ice cream every night, and it was like I couldn't, I couldn't only eat a pint. It was like a pint of ice cream. Don't even. <laughs> like, why am I going to get started on that? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, three rip, scoops, yeah. rip your throat off, and you know, want more, you know, yeah, it's whatever, yeah. rip your head off. So, so I would, and if I, it was ten o'clock at night, and I didn't have any ice cream in the house, I'd get in the car and drive wow. and get some. It was, it was like a real addiction, a real sugar addiction. Clearly, I got rid of that, but but it was, you know, I wonder at times whether the, I had described this. It's a half gallon is my dose of ice cream, right? And even though I could have satisfied myself with a pint or a half a pint, because it was there, because I I you know could eat it and I could mm-hmm. get away with it, that became my dose. It's wow. like people have a you know bag of potato chips. You know, you have a little individual serving size of potato no, chips. The whole bag. And you have one this big. They're, they're still, to some people, each one is, is an individual serving it size. It is. Right? It is. It's tough to just yeah. have a few chips in the big bags. Yeah. Um, so what are these, you know, for athletes listening or for people that want to get back into athletic ways? You know, I used to be a professional athlete and I'm still, I consider myself an athlete. You've got uh, nine pieces of primal advice for athletes. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs could live this way yeah. too and yep. still like, be better entrepreneurs, be more productive, have better relationships, be sharper, all these different things. And I think everything you do to be a better athlete makes you a better entrepreneur. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but you talk about adequate sleep, and this is something I've been talking about a lot lately on my podcast and bringing out different sleep experts, but why just emphasize is sleep important for you? I mean, sleep is when the body renews and regenerates, repairs mm-hmm. itself. It's when uh, a lot of the neural networking happens to overlook sleep. And to think, well, you know, I can sleep when I'm dead. Well, you know, that just is so, such faulty logic. Yeah. Uh, it's so critical and so important. I try to get eight hours a night myself. Um, if I get less than six for some reason, I, I feel it. I know it. I try to make up for it. I try not to let that happen. Mm. Um, I, try, I try not to schedule late nights because I wake up at the same time pretty much every morning. So if 6 I 6 a.m. wake up or Yeah, 6:30, 6 a.m. 6:30. Yeah. But if I were to go to bed at 1, I'd still wake up at my normal time. Yeah. And so I I have to really force myself to not force myself because I'm tired at the end of the day. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm and I and I have this whole wind down process. What you is know, my, that? W- so my wife and I will will watch some uh we'll do some television uh after dinner. 
Um, we'll catch up on. We'll do some some binge watching, catching up of yes. whatever the latest series was. Uh, but around ten, we'll break. Uh, I I have a pool in my backyard and a jacuzzi, mm. so I go into the pool's unheated. So in the wintertime, it might be in the fifties. Wow! I'll walk into the pool and, and hang out there for a couple of minutes and get really really cold, but not to the point of shivering. Just and it's kind of a process in and of itself. Then I'll get in the jacuzzi. So I'll, my wife and I'll hang out in the jacuzzi. We'll just recap what the day's events were. It's very uh, we turn off all the lights in the house. We have a fire pit uh. out there, so there's a real sort of a primal cave, caveman kind of mm. thing to that. Um, then I'll just finish off with another minute in the cold, and we and towel off and go up to bed, and I sleep like a baby as a result of that. Wow! So that's the hot that's, cold therapy. Yeah, the hot cold therapy, and that's kind of how I wind my day down, and that pr- prepares me to sleep, brings my body temperature down, um, which is uh, you know they they say that you're that uh, you should have your uh, lower body temperature to sleep better. Mm. Um, we keep the room around 67. Yes. Um, we have blackout curtains. So it's a real cool sleeping environment. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Um, I always like to keep it cold. Yeah. You've got uh, nine pieces of primal advice for athletes. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs could live this way yeah. too and yep. still like be better entrepreneurs, be more productive, have better relationships, be sharper, all these different things. And I think everything you do to be a better athlete makes you a better entrepreneur. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but you talk about adequate sleep, and this is something I've been talking about a lot lately on my podcast and bringing out different sleep experts, but why just emphasize is sleep important for you? I mean, sleep is when the body renews and regenerates, repairs mm-hmm. itself. It's when uh, a lot of the neural networking happens. To overlook sleep and to think, well, you know, I can sleep when I'm dead, well, you know, that just is so such faulty logic. Yeah. Uh, it's so critical and so important. I try to get eight hours a night myself. Um, if I get less than six for some reason, I I feel it. I know it. I try to make up for it. I try not to let that happen. Mm. Um, I try I try not to schedule late nights because I wake up at the same time pretty much every morning. So if six I six a.m. wake up or yeah six thirty six a.m. Yeah. six thirty. But if I were to go to bed at one, I'd still wake up at my normal time. Yeah. And so I I have to really force myself to not force myself because I'm tired at the end of the day I'm, mm-hmm. I'm and i and i have this whole wind down process what you know, is my, that? W- so my wife and i will will watch some uh we'll do some television uh after dinner um we'll catch up on we'll do some some binge watching catching up of yes. whatever the latest series was uh but around 10 we'll break uh i i have a pool in my backyard and a jacuzzi mm. so i go into the pool's unheated so in the wintertime, it might be in the 50s. Wow. I'll walk into the pool and, and hang out there for a couple of minutes and get really, really cold, but not to the point of shivering. Just and It's kind of a process in and of itself. Then I'll get in the jacuzzi. So I'll, my wife and I will hang out in the jacuzzi. We'll just recap what the day's events were. It's very uh, – we turn off all the lights in the house. We have a fire pit uh. out there. So there's a real sort of a primal cave caveman kind of mm. thing to that. Um, then I'll just finish off with another minute in the cold – and we and towel off and go up to bed and I sleep like a baby as a result of that. Wow! So that's the hot that, cold therapy. Yeah, the hot cold therapy, and that's kind of how I wind my day down, and that pr- prepares me to sleep, brings my body temperature down, um, which is uh, you know they they say that you're that uh, you should have your uh, lower body temperature to sleep better. Mm. Um, we keep the room around sixty seven. Yes. Um, we have blackout curtains, so it's a real cool sleeping environment. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. Um, I always like to keep it cold. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, if you do like a cold shower before bed, you think that's a good thing? I think it's a good thing. Yeah. It'll help you sleep better. I think so. Try okay. it. I mean, it yeah. can't hurt. Okay. Yeah. You talk about stress and rest balance. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, you th- there are certain stresses in your life that are unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Work stress. Uh, 
commuting stress, right, uh, right. sometimes training Waiting stress. Waiting in the lobby for 45 minutes stress. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, I'm more stressed about the traffic coming from <laughs> Right, right, right. Because you never know what it's going to be. It could be, you know, I, I planned for two hours. I got here in an hour, and or I got here in less than an hour. Right. So, That's good. Yeah. But so, so you have these stresses, um, and some of them are imagined, even though your brain thinks they're real. They're, they're, they don't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, the, our stress mechanisms in the body where they evolved to handle true life or death situations, you know, a tiger bearing down upon you, right. uh, an, inf- an infection that's going to that's going to kill you, a broken leg that may, you know, whatever uh, have its imp- impact on you. Not, uh, you know, am I going to miss my kid's rehearsal or am I going to be right, late right, for right. work or whatever? That those those cause stress, but they're not life threatening, and yet we the brain sees them as life threatening. So. The, the the message here is that you sort of have to identify stresses and then appropriately orchestrate certain re- rest and recovery. Now, uh, we talked about this before the show, that uh, meditation is a form of, mm-hmm. of, of rest and recovery. Uh, but just taking, maybe if you need a nap, you can, you can right. do that. But certainly that, that goes back to the whole sleep thing being... Being, being critical. But the other part of rest is recognizing, if you're an athlete, recognizing when it's just inappropriate to go out and train just because your schedule says, I have to go do six miles yes. today. Yeah. You know, if, you w- if, if you wake up that day and you feel like crap and, you, and, and the metrics, you know, the heart rate um, variability is wrong or, or you're just not feeling good, then you're better off taking that day off than plowing through it and right. and being able to write in your logbook, yeah, I got through the workout, felt like crap, but I got through the workout. I was just rested that day. Just rested yeah. that, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, and the third thing you talk about is personalized schedule and inconsistency is the key. So in, in, um, in primal endurance, we go back to that philosophy that the body, you know, is a very um, uh, sort of temperamental, uh, it's in temperamental states back and forth. Sometimes you're in a state of, of energy and health and sometimes you're not. And you can't really plan on when those states are going to be, so you have to be mm. willing to listen to the cues. And for that reason, we say inconsistency is the key to consistent racing if you're an athlete. Mm. So it's, it's when you feel good, you can go hard. When you don't feel good, back off. Uh, take time off. We use the term periodicity, so you can periodize your training so that there's, there are uh, tranches of, of training days a week at a time where you're really going – Deep, deep, hard, hard, and then you might take a week off right. or take it real easy and back off. You can break those further up into into quarterly, annual segments, uh, always with the idea that some days are going to be good, some days are going to be bad. You're going to trend toward wanting to build, to ratchet up over time, but you're okay kind of not doing stuff uh, as as hard. Mm. And so it, it doesn't become this linear kind of pro- pro- progress, it becomes more of a fractal thing that trends toward improvement. Gotcha. Uh, the next thing you talk about is aerobic emphasis, train slow to race fast. What does that mean? Yeah, so this is the toughest one for current endurance athletes to really to, to, to grok. And that is um, a lot of athletes, and I was certainly one for 20 years, you, you basically go out and you train to hurt. So mm-hmm. you run or you ride or you swim at a heart rate that's you know, 75 to 90% of your max heart rate. Mm-hmm. And you see how long you can hold <laughs> right, that, right? right? And, and so you're training to hurt. And, it's, and, it's, and it hurts. You know, it hurts you. A, it, yeah. it does hurt you. But you feel tough as a result of it. And the, but the problem is you're not really training the body to be, become more efficient. You're just training yourself to hurt. So when we talk about efficiency in racing, we go back to the original premise about glu- glucose and glycogen being sort of this 
determining factor in, in muscle tissue. When you run out of glycogen, you sort of hit the wall. So how do you manage glycogen? Well, one way would be to eat a lot of carbohydrates and drink a lot of gels during the race. The other would be to become mm. so good at burning fat that you never really tap into that glycogen. Interesting. So we train you to become so good at burning fat. Now, that's the 80% that we talked about with the diet. But the other part of that for the endurance athlete is if you train at a low enough heart rate that you are it, – it, it's typically it's 180 minus your age. So let's just say you're 40 years old. So 180 minus 40 is 140. So that's going to be your maximum heart rate. You're never in your training. You're not going to go above that. You set your watch. You set mm-hmm. your heart monitor to, to give you a signal as soon as you get above 140. Now, you, you start out and you at that 140, maybe you can only run 13-minute miles. Even though you're capable of running 7-minute miles at 175 beats a minute, or whatever, right. but now wh- what we're doing is we're measuring how good you are at burning fat, and we know mm-hmm. that at that at that number, 180 minus your age, that's the highest rate that you could put oxygen through your system and and know that you're burning mostly fat. And really? we know that because that's the that's the pace at which you could breathe, you could close your mouth and breathe through your nose and get oh. plenty of oxygen, or that's the pace at which you could be with a training partner and talk mm. without losing your breath. Mm. Once you start losing your uh, having to catch up or having to get winded, we know that you're going into burning, you're you're building up lactic acid. For those that don't know your story, you've been on the podcast before, so we'll have Mm -hmm. that episode linked up. But for those that don't know your story, if you want to give a quick recap to how you got into the whole plant-based living in the first place. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm 48 years old right now. um, But about eight years ago when I was 39, uh, I was tipping the scales a little bit heavy. (laughs) I was about 50 pounds overweight, uh, working as a corporate lawyer, kind of toiling away the 80 hour work weeks, riding the elevator up and down and kind of living that lifestyle. And I was having a little bit of an existential crisis about my place in the world. Like I you know, I was married and I was building family. And of course I, I love them. But at the same time, I just felt like I was on the wrong path professionally. And it was confusing. It was almost like vertigo because my whole life had been premised on this idea mm. of, you know, get good grades, get, get into the best college, right. like then go to law school and get the best law firm job. And like when you kind of, you know, are on the precipice of being a partner in a big law firm, you think, well, I did everything right. Uh, this is this is what I was promised my whole life was going to make me happy, right, right, right. and I wasn't I was not fulfilled. And I looked around me at the people I was working with, and I just didn't aspire to have any of their mm. lives. And so I was having this kind of, you know, kind of internal crisis about what I was doing with myself. And meanwhile, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was eating. Uh, what I like to call the window diet. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. You can pull your car up to a fine dining establishment, roll the window down, and they hand you food. That's what you eat. So I was subsisting on you know cheeseburgers and French fries and nachos and Pizza Hut sure. and Taco Bell and all that kind of stuff for years and years and years. And it was starting to catch up to me, you know, 50 pounds overweight. And then one night, uh, shortly before my 40th birthday, walking up a simple flight of stairs, I had to pause. I was winded, out of breath. Mm shortness of breath, uh, tightness in my chest, sweat on my brow. And I, and I honestly thought I was having a heart attack. And I realized in that moment that I needed to change how I was living. Right. Um, 
<clears throat> and that really began the journey of exploring healthy foods and healthy lifestyle habits. Um, I ended up adopting a plant-based diet, which, you know, look, you know, I'm the last person in the world that ever thought I would go vegan. Like for me, like vegans are like guys that kick the hacky sack and you know, <laughs> smoke a lot of dope and like have sure, dreadlocks, sure. you know, which is fine. That's cool. But that was, that's not my trip, you know? So I never identified yeah. with that. Um, but when I started eating whole foods, plant-based foods, I really started to feel so much better, like incredibly better. I had, had a lot of energy too, right? Resurgence of vitality I could have never predicted. And it, and it really um, kind of solved that equation of food is medicine. You know, mm. Hippocrates said it in 340 BC. And right. of course I'd heard that quote, uh, you know, growing up, but I never really thought about it. And I was starting to realize like, wow, we really can impact how we feel and how our bodies function and how our minds operate and how we interact with other people based upon the things that we're putting in our body. Right. It's so elementary, right? But I don't know that we really take that um, to heart enough. And so that's, that's what happened to me. And, and I, you know, it's a long story and we talked about it in the last podcast, sure. but ultimately I ended up becoming an ultra endurance athlete and uh, I started killing it in these crazy super multi-day, you know, double Ironman distance triathlons and, in 2010, I did something that no one else had ever done, which was do five Ironman distance triathlons on five Hawaiian islands in under a week. Wow. So, and that kind of they put They take me, like 24 hours, don't they? Uh, no, I mean an Ironman. Or a triathlon. Yeah. That, gotcha, well, gotcha. So, an, so a single Ironman, for your listeners who might not know, is a very long triathlon, which in a period of one day you do a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike, and then run a marathon. So I did five of those in a row on five different islands, like traveling, You did flying, five Ironmans? Five Ironmans on five Hawaiian islands. In, in a week. The goal was to do it in five days. We ran into a bunch of problems oh and gosh. logistical challenges and sleep deprivation and all kinds of craziness. Uh, wow. But we got it done, and no one – It was. I did it with my buddy Jason Lester, and no one had ever tried it before. Wow. So it was, it was sort of a cool kind of thing. And to do that at age – I was 44 at the time when I did that um, was a really cool thing. And that's kind of like what my first book was about, kind of going from couch potato, schlubby lawyer guy to, you know, middle-aged uh, ultra endurance. Athlete. Right. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Why do you think... Uh, eating a plant-based diet is so intimidating for a lot of people because there's this new trend and people are going vegan and people are starting to just live off of you know plants. But 
why is it so intimidating? Well, I think it's intimidating for a number of reasons. I mean, the first thing is, is it sounds like a huge deprivation diet. Like, mm. oh my God, you know, how can I go a day without eating cheese? Or, you know, how Meat can I, how can I yeah. you know, go a day without eating a cheeseburger? And, and these kinds of foods, animal products find their way into most of the things that people are eating on a typical Western diet. Um, and so I think that at, right off the bat, people are like, whoa, not so fast. Right. You know, that's kind of that's kind of scary. And by the way, we've been told our whole lives that if you want strong muscles, you need to eat, you know, beef is what's for dinner and milk does a body good. And, you know, I certainly believed all of those things my whole life. So it was really kind of um, anathema that that you could not only like breathe air in and out of your lungs, but actually be an athlete without mm. eating those things uh, was something I would have never predicted. And so, you know, part of my message is that, uh, you know, plant-based foods are incredibly healthy and, and they contain everything that you need to live. And also, you know, and this is what the plant power way is really about is it doesn't have to be a deprivation thing. Yeah. Like we look at, at, we try to, we always say, Focus on all the new exciting foods um, that you're bringing into your diet, like nutrient-dense uh, foods that are super healthy for you, sure. uh, as opposed to focusing on the couple things that you're, you're that giving you're, up. That you're giving up. What is one exercise people can start with to just be aware on the inner child or, or the memories of the past that will help them regulate their nervous system? Absolutely. Awareness. You'll always hear me cite begins with learning how to be that aware being or to live in that conscious state, being the observer of our thoughts, our emotional mm -hmm. reactions, the way then we're reacting, I want to say responding there, reacting, right, in the world around us. It's that observation step. But I want to go back to something really yes. profound that you said by acknowledging your courage in choosing because I want to highlight how any, even if very logically, right? So many of us have lived the aftermath of those old reactive ways of being, whether oh, it's self or other harm, and we have all of this now data points to mm. say, okay, that doesn't work. Right. So logically, this is how the new way I would like to respond in my being the next time this happens. And lo and behold, <laughs> when that time comes, because that will be, I'm gonna really simplify it, a new response, right? I will embody something new, I will uh -huh. make a new choice in that moment. Inevitably, inevitably, that's going to challenge our subconscious mind that prefers those familiar patterns. Absolutely. It's actually an adaptation because we get to predict and there's safety in that prediction. Even if the aftermath is consequential in whatever way it is, it's, it's known. I've, I've verified it. Some of us for decades, we've verified, yep, that's what happens next. And now if I'm on the brink of making a new choice in and of itself before I even make the choice, I might be faced with the resistance, that pull back, all of the reasons why I shouldn't make that new choice. Mm. If we do dare to embody or to do something new in that moment, it might even, that resistance might even drop into our body right. where we feel uncomfortable. We begin to feel that discomfort of that unfamiliar experience. Mm. And some of us, again, that could contribute to leading us right back into those old familiar habits and patterns. So. Once we become conscious, then it really is a challenge to our, our mind-body system to embody these new choices. They don't come easy. And funny enough, one of the things I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about something else was for me physically, I used to avoid not only emotional discomfort, but physical discomfort. Even though I played sports my entire life through college, when it came to stretching my muscles, and I was always very tight, tight from, you've guessed it, my nervous right, system course. and my stress response. 
And I remember I used to have these big trainers pushing on my hamstrings, trying to stretch me. And I'm crying. Anytime my physical body felt uncomfortable, and once I stopped playing sports in college, any physical discomfort, I would avoid it. Oh, that means my body's not meant to move like that. Oh, I don't have the stamina to walk around or for this many minutes, so I'm going to not do it. Erroneously or, you know, in error thinking that this discomfort was, you know, my intuition, my body telling me, oh, you reached your limit, Nicole. And really it was just that old pattern of avoiding things that were uncomfortable. And one yes. of the most foundational changes um, that I referenced to and how to do the work is how for me rebuilding that connection to my body, challenging my body to, and it wasn't anything extreme. I didn't enter the gym. I still don't even enter the gym. I, it's about the small consistent for me. It started with just daily stretching for 10 minutes a day, popping in a yoga video and stretching my body to that point of discomfort. And instead of abandoning yoga and I'm done with it for the day today, just allowing myself to breathe in that space. Yes. And so whether or not it's your physical body, any new promise or new choice, that we set the intention to make outside of that familiar comfort zone, acknowledging that it will challenge our subconscious. So keeping that promise small, and then there's the embodied practice, mm. meeting that resistance, all of the thoughts that are telling you to abandon ship, maybe all that discomfort in your body as you're doing something new, responding in a new way, taking some belly breaths instead of yelling and screaming, and then expanding that stress resilience or that emotional resilience mm. we were talking about earlier, learning that you can tolerate a bit more of that discomfort than you thought that you could. And that's how you develop that confidence that yes. you're speaking of. So interesting. We're talking about familiarity. I was thinking about in relationships where we'll see, uh, I speak for myself, but I also see other people that stay in relationships that are hurtful or harmful or not a part of their vision of a high conscious relationship, but they stay because it's familiar. And then when you sometimes meet someone who is very loving and kind and generous, it's not familiar mm -hmm. and you almost push it away because you're like, okay, that doesn't feel safe because it's unfamiliar, but really it's just different. And it's really probably what you need the most of is this kind of safer environment. But where, why are we so tied to repeating a pattern of familiarity, even if it's painful, as opposed to creating a loving environment in relationships that we know will support us thrive? Why do we do that? I think one of the most counterintuitive you know, spaces to muse or consider this question is why it is so difficult for many of us to be in stillness, right? To be in peace. We do on some deep level create and prefer the stress, why? those patterns, the negativity even of it. Um, and again, a lot of this goes back to how embodied these topics are that we're speaking of. They're not just right thoughts in our mind. They're mapping onto physiological changes outside of our nervous system in our hormones and cortisol and how our body is adapting to the present nature of these continued habits and patterns. So our body gets used to these certain ways of being and prefers that familiar because something even as logical as peace, which we should all <laughs> desire, Yes, right? And I share my story all the time for so long, right? Being a hippie at heart, all I've been endlessly searching for is the ability, and you said one word, word earlier too, to be free and to be peaceful. Those for me are like, feel like what we could call core yes. driving values. I want to be at peace. I want to have a safe, comfortable, peaceful, calm existence. And I want to have the freedom to do that. Yet, what I would find time and time again is when there was the moment where there wasn't a stressful experience happening or say I was 
home alone without anyone around me to energetically, you know, cause me any disturbance. It wasn't that logically, it was my body. I I had so much trauma and stress in my nervous system. And Mm. for a lot of us, safety doesn't, I mean, quiet, stillness, stop, doesn't feel safe if we've grown up in an environment where that wasn't present. So counterintuitively, here I am, the hippie, wondering where my safe space is, and yet wherever you go, there you are, right? The junk, junk uh-huh. buds in book. There I was all of the time, but what was there was this dysregulated nervous system. Mm. So in those moments on my couch with no one present, my body was sending me, my brain, so many messages of stress, of cortisol, of my heart, right, still beating out of my chest because my nervous system was dysregulated. I was in fight or flight in that moment. So my mind was left with no other option but to integrate that into this meaning of what's happening and it would then find the stressful event. Oh, right. It was that assignment you didn't do. It was this deadline you have tomorrow. You know what? Actually, it was this fight that you had with your partner because she gave you a look that you didn't like and now you're stressed out about that because what did that mean? Not realizing that my body was contributing to that story because our mind always seeks alignment. Scanning down what's happening in my body. Oh, it's stressed out. That must mean something stressful happened. Let me figure out what it is. Wow. So does everything come back to the nervous system then? Like this, our level, uh, our ability to have peace, feel loved, feel safe, come back to how our nervous system is connected to our mind and our thoughts and and our body? Yes. If our nervous system isn't in the parasympathetic mode, Um, of safety of a particular branch of it called the ventral vagal, which allows us to be connected to the world around us, to our heart that I was talking about earlier. If we're not in that and that, do you feel peaceful? Do you feel calm? Are you able to breathe deeply from your belly? Do your muscles feel, you know, available, but not tense? Um, Are you in that space? And the answer probably for most of us is no, my heart's, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, beating out of my chest. I'm sweating. I'm on edge waiting for the next stress to happen or I might be on the other end of that spectrum. I might be completely shut down. Energy, what energy? I can't get out of bed. Muscles, I feel like I have no you know, ability. Yeah. I, I'm so fatigued in my muscles. I have no interest in life. A lot of us have called that for decades depression, have, have located the genetic you know, idea of this genetic component, which there is a genetic component, but a lot of us are in a nervous system state of, of shutdown. It's our nervous system that is causing those symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So to simply answer your question, our nervous system impacts everything from our ability to be in that peaceful, connected place to even kind of how we think about ourselves, to how we navigate ourselves showing up in our environments and really every choice that we make. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.
Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.